Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Turn, if you will, to the book of Titus today. We're going to finish our series on the book of Titus. We'll be in chapter 3, and we'll look at the last three or four verses. Uh, Today, I've entitled this message, Devoted to Good Works. And really, in some respects, that is kind of the the crescendo theme. Everything leads up to what I'm going to say today in Titus, in the book of Titus, and that is being devoted to good works. Many, many years ago, there was a famous French artist. His name was Paul Gustave Doré, and he lost his passport while traveling in Europe. When he came to a border crossing, he explained his predicament to one of the guards. And giving his name to the official, he hoped that they would recognize him and allow him to pass through. However, the guard wasn't buying it. He said that every day people come by trying to cross the border, claiming to be someone that they're not. And so Doré insisted that he was the man he claimed to be. Finally, the uh, border official said, all right. We're going to give you a test. And he says, if you pass the test, we'll let you through. So he handed him a pencil and a few sheets of paper. And he says, I want you to sketch uh, um, a picture of all these people standing over here. Well, very quickly, he grabbed the pencil and the paper. And he, he did it so quickly and so skillfully and effortlessly that the guard was convinced that he was who he claimed to be. His work confirmed his word. Well, you know, you and I, many people today, claim to be Christians in society. But the question is, do our works prove it? You know, if you were convicted of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Uh, Do our lives bear the proof that we're His? That's the essence of today's message. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be devoted to do good works. You don't do works to be saved. You do good works because you are saved. And that makes all the difference. And so I want to paint a picture of two realities in life. Before we get to Titus 3, I want to kind of set this up. Think of Think of coming to a road and there's a fork in the road and there's two realities in life and you've got a decision to make. You can go this way or that way and I want to show you what those ways look like in Scripture. Uh, It's fruitful and unfruitful. In other words, you can take this path and at the end of, the, uh, end of your life, you can look back and go, that was fruitful for God. And the fruit that God produced in my life and through my life that will last. Or you can go this way, and when you get to your destination and you get back to the end of your life and look back, that was unfruitful, and I wasted my life. Okay? Let me, let me show you what I mean. I'm going to give you a few verses to think about here. In Hebrews 6, verse 7 through 9, the biblical author says this, He says, for the ground that drinks the rain, you know, it's springtime, so just picture, you know, the rain coming and and the vegetation's coming up. You're seeing flowers bloom and all these things. The ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it and that produces vegetation useful to those for whom it's cultivated receives a blessing from God. But, 
if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and about to be cursed and at the end will be burned. I mean, would you rather have a a garden with all kinds of wonderful fruits and vegetables just waiting to be picked and eat? Or would you rather have a garden of weeds? The answer is obvious, right? But then he makes an application. He says, even though we are speaking this way, dearly loved friends, in your case, we are confident of things that are better and that pertain to salvation. Or as I think the old NIV says, the things that accompany salvation. And so our lives are like this. When we hear the Word of God, does it go deep into our heart and produce a life of righteousness that others see, wow, that guy saved, that girl saved, they know the Lord. Look, they're following Him and I see Him at work in their life. Or do they hear the Word of God, but it never takes root in their life and therefore it never produces any kind of fruit, the things that accompany salvation. That's the fork in the road. That's the two kinds of life that you and I have to make a decision about, fruitful or unfruitful. Let me, let me show you why people don't have a fruitful life. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus shares the same parable, the parable of the sower, And I want to zoom in on a specific part of that. Now, the story is this. Jesus tells the story of a farmer who went about sowing seed. And he sowed some seed on this kind of ground and that kind of ground and this kind of soil and that kind of soil. And three of them, it didn't really work out. But the fourth soil that he planted the seed in, it was good soil. And it produced 30, 60, 100 fold return on what he invested. Now, when we get to the third kind of soul, I want to read the application of what Jesus said in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's version of the account. In Matthew 13, verse 22, Jesus explains that this third soul, the one sown among the thorns, this is one who hears the word. Okay, he's talking about people that hear the word of God. But the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on the good ground, this is one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields some 160, some 30 times what was sown. So the condition of our hearts is parallel to the soil that the farmer is sowing the seed. So the soil is the condition of our hearts, The seed is the Word of God. And when you hear the Word of God, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth, trying to pursue all these things in life, when that chokes God's Word in your life, you live an unfruitful life. And at the end, you'll have nothing to show for it. But if you hear the Word of God, you understand it and put it into practice, then there will be a a bunch of fruit in your life, 30, 60, up to 100 times what was sown. Look in Mark's account, Mark 4, verse 18. The same thing from Mark's version. He says in Mark 4, 18, Others are like seeds sown among thorns. 
These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and then he adds one more, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those like seed on, sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. So we have the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. They choke the word in our hearts. And then we'll look at Luke's version, Luke 8, verse 14. As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they heard, in other words, when they heard the word, they go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring produce fruit. Now notice it's the worries of life, it's the deceitfulness of wealth or riches, and it's the pleasures of life. As some, as some people might say, whatever makes you happy. You know, people will say, why don't you just do whatever makes you happy? Well, you better be careful with that kind of thinking because that kind of thinking can prevent you from obeying God's Word in your life. It can steal your joy. And in the end, you can lose your soul. And to me, it's never worth it. You know, Hebrews tells us that the pleasure of sin is for a season. Now, this is not something we're used to talking about, but the Bible is more honest many times than we are, because Hebrews says that, you know, it's fun. It's, it's pleasurable to sin, but it doesn't last. It doesn't last. You see all those commercials on TV where people are living it up and doing their own thing. Oh, man, they're having fun. But look at what happens the next day or a week later. It doesn't last. And when you follow God, He gives you joy unspeakable, full of glory. He is always with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And the joy that He gives you, no man can take away because it does last. And that makes all the difference. There was a father who told a story about his efforts to have a garden somehow every spring he always got busy, time got away from him, and he would fail to till the soil and plant the crops. And so he never really had a good garden. He had a garden spot. He had picked the, the plot. He had a designated place. He just never really got around to tending it, cultivating it, and enjoying it. Well, he wanted to use this garden to teach his son an important life lesson. So one day he was having a conversation with his son, and it went something like this. He said, son... Is my garden growing a crop? No, Dad. Nothing got planted in the garden again this year. And then he looks at his son and says, You're right. Is the garden growing anything? He looks out the window. Well, yeah, it's growing weeds. And then the dad said, Exactly. And if good things are not intentionally planted in your life, then by nature, you too will only grow a nice crop of weeds. Think about that. If you don't intentionally focus on God and sow His Word in your heart and meditate on it and strive to yield your life to God and humbly obey the Word that's implanted in you, which can save you, which is what James 1 says. If you don't do that, then by default... You're letting the things that just happen in life, 
worries, the deceitfulness of wealth, the pleasure of things, it comes in and fills that void. And when it does, by default, it chokes the Word of God in your life. And the Word of God is not able to produce any fruit in your life. That is the reality that you and I have. So what I want to share with you for just a few moments is how can we live a fruitful life devoted to good works? Now we jump back to Titus 3. How to live a fruitful life devoted to good works? Number one, seek to invest in relationships with people. Let me show you what I mean. There in Titus 3 verse 12, Paul says, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, Make, it, make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis because I've decided to spend the winter there. Here is Paul writing to Titus. This is probably toward the end of his ministry. He's really investing himself in the lives of others now. He realizes he won't always be around. So he's looking for younger people to pour his life into making disciples of those who will also go out and make disciples of Jesus. And it's not just an idea. He's actually got some names to mention here, some actual people that he's developed a relationship with, that he's maintained a connection with, and he says, I'm investing in some people. Matter of fact, I'm sending one, one or two of them to you, Artemis or Tychicus, I'm going to send one or both of them to you. And when they come, I want you to make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis. Maybe he was going to send, you know, Artemis and Tychicus to them so they could kind of manage and lead for a while so that Titus could leave and uh, come to where Paul was in Nicopolis because he says, I've decided to spend the winter here. In other words, Paul is making plans. He's looking at his calendar. He's looking at people that he knows, and he's making plans to invest in some relationships, to make time for it. In other words, you have to prioritize people in your life. If you want to live a fruitful life devoted to good works, look at the people that you know. You know, most people are more concerned about their net worth. In other words, they're more concerned about how much money they have in their bank, how much stuff they've accumulated over the years. They're focused on net worth. You know what we really need to focus on? Our network. Our network. Who are the people that love you? Who are the people that you care about? Who are the people that you have invested your time in? And what will they be like when you are gone? When you become a disciple maker for Jesus Christ, who are you pouring your life into? Who are you investing your life in? What relationships are you prioritizing? And I'm not just talking about family. That would be natural. That's your closest you know, uh, folks that you know the best and the longest and all that. But I'm talking about from a disciple making perspective, who are some people that you know that you've been sharing Jesus with, that you've been teaching them the word of God and you've been including them in your life when you go out and serve others, showing them the ropes of what it looks like to live a fruitful life devoted to good works. I like what Tony Evans said. He said, when we stand before Christ... He will review our life from salvation to death. We will see how responsibly we use the time, talents, and treasures God gave us, 
and we will see the quality of our stewardship for Him. We will see the impact we had on other people and how much we invested in others for eternity. That's good. You probably have heard, if you've taken a course in college, you may have heard about Vincent Van Gogh. He was a lousy painter, believe it or not. He had no talent, no promise, no potential. He lived his entire adult life with severe mental, emotional, social, and financial problems. He only had two things going for him, a passion to keep painting and a brother who loved him and supported him. While art lovers today study and celebrate and learn from the works of Vincent van Gogh, we should all be striving to become more like his brother Theo. Because if it wasn't for Theo, you wouldn't know who Vincent van Gogh was. It's not an understatement to say that without Theo, no one would know who Vincent van Gogh was. We have none Uh, We would have none of the paintings, none of the lessons learned from them. But more than that, without Theo, Vincent's life would have been even harder and probably shorter than it was. You see, we all need someone like a brother named Theo. We need to look around at people in our life and we need to take the time to invest in their life. Love them. Share Jesus with them. Show them what we're learning from the Word of God. Include them when we go and do some kind of service with others. Show them the ropes of what it means to live a life for Jesus Christ and to live a fruitful life devoted to good works. The second thing we need to do to live a life uh, devoted to good works is to serve others by meeting their needs. Look in verse 13 and 14. Paul continues writing Titus here at the end of the letter. He says, diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey so that they will lack nothing. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works for pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. There it is. The word is unfruitful. I don't know about you, but if, if my life is a garden... When I get to the end of my life, I don't want a bunch of weeds. I want to see some vegetables. I'll let somebody else eat them. My family knows that. I'll keep the fruit and enjoy it myself. That's kind of the way I eat. But but that's the way I want to live my life. I want it to be a garden flourishing with fruits and vegetables. I don't want it to be just weeds. Rick Warren made a good point when he said, As we mature in Christ... The focus of our lives should increasingly shift to living a life of service. The mature follower of Jesus stops asking who's going to meet my needs and starts asking whose needs can I meet. You know, as we grow in Christ, we begin to realize we don't live for ourselves. We live for Jesus and we live to be a blessing to other people so we can point them to Jesus. So we stop saying, what about me? And we start asking, who can I serve? What can I do to be a blessing to someone else? What can I do to make a difference? Here is Paul toward the end of his life. And he says, you see Zenos the lawyer? And you see Apollos? They're fixing to go on a journey. I want you to bless them. I want you to help them so they don't have to worry about needing anything. And then he says, there's a lesson here. There's a lesson when you focus on others instead of yourself. We all need to learn to devote ourselves to good works 
for meeting others' needs so that we won't be unfruitful. You know, I have found many times that when I live life with an open hand and open heart and, and, and strive to become generous, what I give away, God blesses me in return. It may not be the same thing I gave away, but, but there's a blessing because the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, our eyes see that and go, well, I don't know how that works. But if you will try it and practice it, your heart will say, see, look what God does. God provides for all your needs, and He enables you to have this so you can be a blessing to others. And then when you begin to give, you, you begin to experience something you can't any other way. And that's the blessing. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, in Matthew, Jesus told a story. And it reminds us of why it's important for you and I to be a blessing to others and to serve others by meeting their needs. He tells the parable of the sheep and the goats. And he says to, to those on his right, which would be sheep, which would be God's people, someday when we stand before him, he says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see uh, you a stranger and take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or visit you? In other words, God, we didn't see you when we did that. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And then here comes the punchline. He says this. He says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You know, the, the same Bible that says if you're going to love God, you have to love people. You can't love God and hate your brother. That doesn't work, okay? So if you love God... You're going to love people because when you love God, you realize how much He loves you. And so you love others because you extend the same grace that He gave you. And when you begin to love others, it proves that you love God because who can do that? Who can live that way on their own, in their own strength, in their own mind, in their own willpower? Nobody can, not without God. The love of God enables us to love people that way. But our sinful, selfish love doesn't work that way. So how do we live a fruitful life devoted to good works? We mentioned seek to invest in relationships with people. Serve others by meeting their needs. And number three, share God's grace with everyone. Look in verse 15. All those who are with me, says Paul, send you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with all of you. He could have mentioned some more names, but to cover everybody, he said, Grace be with all of you. And that's what I want to share today. If you and I are going to live a life devoted to good works, share God's grace with everybody. Because you don't know how a simple gesture of kindness, a simple word can encourage somebody just when they need it the most. I love this story. Uh, one author, uh, actually it was two men that co-authored a book, but this guy's contribution to the book, Timothy Paul Jones, in the book Proof, Finding Freedom Through the Intoxicating Joy of Irresistible Grace. 
he tells a heartbreaking story about one of his daughters. She had been previously cared for by another family before being adopted into his. It was his new adopted daughter. In the past family where she had been, she was excluded from their annual trips to Disney World. The family would take their biological children on vacation, but then they would leave her with a family friend. When Timothy learned this, he decided to take her on a special trip to Disney World. In the month leading up to the trip, his daughter began to misbehave in just trivial, hurtful ways. For someone going on a long-awaited trip, the behavior was unexplainable. Just before the trip, she finally burst out, You're not going to take me, are you? She knew there was no way she could earn her way to Disney World. So she was intent on making her punishment worth it. After an exhausting first day in the park, she was already nodding off in her bed when she said to her dad, I finally got to go to Disney World, but it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. You think about that for a minute. We have received the grace of God, not because we're good, but because we're His. When you come to the foot of a bloodstained cross and receive Christ into your life, I don't get saved because I'm good. There's no one righteous, not even one. We've all sinned. We have all gone our own way. We all fall short of the glory of God. But when I come and recognize that He died for me, He paid my debt with His own blood. He, he bought my salvation by giving His life. He did that for me. And all, all of a sudden I realize that I'm a recipient of God's grace, not because I'm good, but because I'm His. And when you are His, then you too will live a life devoted to good works because you are saved. You see, the reason why you have good works in your life as a Christian is because God is the one doing the works in you and through you. And if you want to live a fruitful life devoted to good works, then start seeking to invest in relationships with other people. Serve others by meeting their needs and share God's grace with everyone. I want to read one last verse and then we'll close with a, a gospel invitation. One of my favorite verses in the book of Romans, it's always spoke to me, is Romans 5.8. It says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. You know why that resonates with me? Because God is basically saying, man is in a mess. Man needs to be saved. And I love him so much, I'm going to send my son. And I'm going to provide the opportunity. I'm going to offer the gift of eternal life. It's without cost to them because I've already paid for it. And I'm going to offer it to anyone that's willing to receive it. And here's the rub. God doesn't say, boy, you better get your act together. 
boy, you better get in church. You better do this, you better do that. And then maybe God will smile on you. No, that's not how it works. God proves His love while we were still sinners. While you and I were as lost as last year's Easter egg. When you and I didn't know God and quite frankly didn't even care. That's when God said, I'm sending my son. He's going to pay for it all and he's going to offer you the gift of eternal life. I know you don't even care right now. I know it might might not even mean a hill of beans to you this moment. But someday you're going to realize how much he loves you. Someday you're going to realize who he really is and what he's actually done for you. Someday maybe you'll think twice. My my message to you today is you better think twice quickly because we don't know if we'll promise tomorrow. Today you can receive God's grace, not because you're good, but because you come to him and you belong to him and you're his. That makes all the difference. So here I want to ask the musicians to come. I want to ask everyone to stand. We're going to have a time of invitation. It's my prayer that you will respond to God and do whatever He wants you to do. Let's pray. Father, we come before You. Thank You for this time together with Your people today. Thank You for the worship songs. Thank You for the choir. Lord, thank You for the Lord's Supper where we're reminded of the body and the blood of Jesus that purchased our salvation. Lord, thank You for Your Word and what it's saying to our hearts this morning. Father, I pray if there's someone here today that's never took that first step to turn from their life of sin and put their trust in you and follow you, Lord, I pray that today would be that day. And Lord, I pray for every believer here today. Lord, I pray we would begin to look at our net work rather than our net worth, that we would be devoted to good works and that we would have treasures up in heaven that last forever. Father, I pray for your will to be done in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact a pastor, please visit phbcsomerset.com.